guys just take your seats. We have got, I know what's coming. This morning, we were, <laughs> we were absolutely blessed beyond measure in this house as Pastor Ray really did deliver a message straight from the throne room of heaven into our hearts. So church, it is my absolute delight and honour to welcome Pastor Ray once again as he ministers to us. Thank you, Hayley. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? What are you sitting so far apart for? <laughs> Nobody's told me nothing yet. I haven't been watching the news. Is there something going on or what? Well, it's great to be here. And I just want to thank <clears throat> um, God for delivering me from the sordid underworld of the Welsh Mafia years ago. Oh, that was a joke. Didn't go very well, so... Uh, yeah, there was only three of us in it. Yeah, we entered a salt and vinegar covenant, and uh, I'm going to forget this joke. I'm just going to go straight into preaching, I think, because are you all awake out there? <laughs> Fabulous. Anybody ever had a bad day? Could you raise your hand if you've ever had a bad day? There's somebody at the back with two arms and his legs in the air. That's a bad day. Well, listen. Uh, I read this. I, do you know what? I've I, been reading this practically every day, to be honest with you. Uh, it just makes me laugh. So this guy, just to cheer you up, if you think you've had a bad day, this guy here, um, he had an accident at work, and so he had to write to the insurance company to claim the money back for his accident, okay? This is a bona fide letter that he wrote, okay? So he, can't, he starts like this. Uh, dear sirs, I'm a bricklayer by trade, and on the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. Now, rather than carry them down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley which fortunately was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. After securing the rope at ground level, I went up on the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into the barrel. And then I went back to the ground floor and I untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will also note from my claim form that I weighed 135 pounds. Well, due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I, lo I lost my presence of mind and I forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. <laughs> and this explains the <laughs> and this explains the fractured skull <laughs> and the broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, <laughs> I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand 
were two knuckles deep into, <laughs> into the pulley, which explains the lacerations on my right hand. Fortunately, by this time, I'd regained my presence of mind, and I was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of the pain. At approximately the same time, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of bricks, the barrel now weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight <laughs> of 135 pounds on the claim form. As you can imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building and in the vicinity of the third floor, Again, <laughs> I, met the, I met the barrel coming up, and this accounts for my two broken ankles <laughs> and the lacerations on my legs and lower body. <laughs> the encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries so that when I fell <laughs> on the pile of bricks, Fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. <laughs> I am sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks in pain, unable to stand, and watching the empty barrel dangling six stories above me, I again lost my presence of mind and I let go of the rope. Let's give this guy a big clap right here. I think it's amazing. Sorry. I don't know if that uh, cheered you up. So you think you've had a bad day. That's a bad day. And uh, how many of you know it's good to laugh? Amen. The Bible says that laughter is like medicine. It's like, it's like heavenly aspirin. I, I think especially now during these times, it's good to find something to laugh about. Could be a husband. Uh, could be yourself as you look in the mirror. But just find something to laugh about. But you know, this morning, I want to I wanna focus on something that God's been dealing with me for the last maybe four months. And uh, I'm not going to get through all of it this morning. I just want to be, um, uh, it may come out differently than the first service. But um, I remember not so long ago, I was traveling uh, to a place to preach. And I'm reading this stat where... Um, they said that out of every 20 people that start, or out of every 10 people that start their ministry or calling in their 20s, only one is left in their 60s. And I thought, what a sad stat that is. And I'm thinking, here I am at 71 years of age, I'm a rare breed. I'm in the, I'm in the high percentage. Do you know what? I want to tell you, I am as passionate and fervent and, and about serving Jesus now than I ever have been in my life. Anybody else out there feel the same way? And, but when I read the stat, I began to realize that there is a strategy from hell against longevity. The devil does not want you to experience the promises that God gave you. The enemy wants to take you out before you finish the race. There is an attack on longevity. And, and this is the reason why, after meditating on this, God began to show me some stuff. And I'll share some of it this morning. For instance, um, the key to longevity for me 
when I thought about this, I thought about my life. I've, I've been serving God now for um, nearly for a long time. Four, take away three. That's uh, like 40 odd years. And um, you learn a little bit. Somebody once said, authority is not what you know. Authority is what you survive. And uh, I'm standing here, I can tell you I've survived a bit. And from those experiences, you can either, you know, go backwards or forwards. And so I sat down and started to think about his story in my life. And the lessons that I've learned through the good times or hard times that's kept me to this point. And, and I just felt the Lord say, Ray, just review my history in your life. And share that with this generation because it'll help them to endure and finish their race too. And I believe the key to longevity is knowing how to negotiate what I call the space between. Everybody say the space between. Now say it again, the space between. Fantastic. You are allowed to speak. Even though there's a virus going on, they tell me. So, what do I mean? Um, uh, and I believe one of the keys to the longevity in my own life is learning how to negotiate the space between the promise that God gives and the fulfillment of that promise. Um, the space between the promise of God and what the Bible calls it the, uh, the fulfillment, the Bible uh, terms it like the fullness of time. When the fullness of time had come, watch this, a 3,000 year promise to Eve was fulfilled. So there was a 3,000, I mean Eve is a classic example. God came to Eve and said, you know the devil that messed you up? There's something coming from your womb that will, that will rue the day he ever approached you in the garden. So that promise was given in Genesis 3.16, but it took 3,000 years before that promise was fulfilled. Some of you are thinking, oh, I hope it's not that long for me. No, you won't be here. Don't worry about it. You know what I'm saying? So, okay, for David, it took 17 years. The anointing oil... Between the anointing oil on his head and sitting on the throne as king, 17 years was the space between. Uh, you, need, you need to study uh, uh, how God deals with his servants and look at the space between the promise and the fulfillment. For uh, Joseph, it was 12 years. The guy had to go through rejection, false accusation, imprisonment. For Abraham, it was 25 years. God says, hey, dude, you're going to have a son. And uh, he was like 90 and his wife was like 100. So they were thinking, well, okay. Uh, so you're going to have a son. And, and it was 25 years later. Are you beginning to understand where I'm going here? Somebody say amen here. Um, and, and this is to settle your heart. Because... During the space between, I've discovered that you will experience self-doubt. Did I hear right? You will experience discouragement, especially from people. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, God told you that, really? 
You'll experience hopelessness. I've been there many times. Man of God with power for the hour. In a fetal position, crying, thinking it's all over. And this all happens in the space between. The promise and the fulfillment. Um, you will experience manipulation. <laughs> trying to force the fulfillment through impatience. Uh, 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 Abraham um, couldn't wait 25 years. So, uh, you know, he tried to manipulate the promise of God and ended up with a problem that we are dealing with right now. So you'll experience all these things. So don't think that when you become a Christian, it's like tiptoe through the tulips, thank you. No, no, no. You know, I mean, when you begin to walk this thing out, come on, somebody say amen. And we beat ourselves up and we think, what's going on? And, but I want to tell you this. However confusing, however long, however tragic, or however painful the space between is, I tell you from my own experience and from God's word, Whatever God has started in your life, He will bring to completion. Because it's not about, listen, I've learned something finally. It's not about my faithfulness to hold on. It's about His faithfulness to hold on to me even when I'm unfaithful. The onus is on Him. I didn't ask to be here. I didn't ask to be born in Resolvan, West Wales. I, you know, I would have been, I'd like to be born in Dallas, Texas. But no, I didn't ask to be born in Wales. I, I didn't ask to have a, you know, to, to, a, a dog and a cat and people. No, listen, folks, there's nothing accidental about your life whatsoever. No, we, we need to get this. If you want to live a contented life, this is the stuff you need to understand. God will complete what he started. And for every promise, every promise God has given you, there is a fullness of time. But between the promise and the fullness of time, you'll have the space between. And the way to stay strong, the way to live a contented life, is to understand and how to negotiate the space between. Now, there are a number of ways to describe the space between. You could call it transition. The process of changing from one season to another. Some of you may be in transition. You're going from one season to another season. And it's weird. It's just, listen, uh, uh, another, another word could be gestation. The period between conception and birth or what about germination the space between planting and harvest what about this is a good one fermentation many of you are acquainted with this fermentation the space between the crushed grape and the sweet wine do you know what many Christians think that God is after fruitfulness well, he is, but you know what he's really after? He's after wine. <laughs> no, man, the church is not a supermarket where fruit is displayed. 
Look how patient I am. Look how loving I am. No, it's a field where fruit is grown. And the reason why God is producing fruit in your life is not to show you off. No, it's so that he can crush you. <laughs> oh, I feel like someone's treading on me. Yeah, because God's after wine, not fruit. Come on, somebody. Because the fruit in your life is not for you. God is using it, will use it to make wine to bless other people. Come on, somebody. I mean, that's what it's all about, man. It's not about you. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for you. Anyway, fermentation. Then there's incubation. The space between underdevelopment to healthy growth. So, whatever term you use in the working out of your destiny, we will have to endure the space between. And the reason is this, watch this, because God is more interested in what you are becoming more than what you become. I want that to sink in because we focus on what we become. We focus on the image, the end result. No, God is more concerned about what you're becoming, what he's making you. Man, when I thought about this, I thought... There are are loads. I mean, you can go on YouTube today, right? With a funny hat on and making a a stupid poem and you can become famous overnight. You can become instantly famous today. I mean, no problem. And there are many who become instantly famous through social media, but then end up taking their lives because they can't handle the fame. See, they become, but what's more important is who you're becoming. There are those who become instantly rich through winning the lottery, but they lose it all because they can't handle, they haven't got the character to handle prosperity. This is what I believe. This is what I know to be true. God is doing his greatest work in our lives during the space between. Because that's where character is formed. That's where patience is formed. And you know what? I, I, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to preach the same way as in the first service. But there's one thing, there's one thing. Some of you, can I, is this scratching where some of you are itching right now? Amen. Now, watch this. Because some of you are in the space between. And you think, has God forgotten me? Um, is the devil attacking me? <laughs> no. Do you know what I've discovered? That whatever, whenever I go through a space between, God is actually forging trust. Do you know what trust is? It's faith plus nothing. And, and it's in, if you were going to finish your course, you're going to have to learn how to trust God. Sounds simple, but it's very hard to do. How to trust God. The space between is where trust is forged. Watch this. I've said this before, but I I keep saying this to myself all the time because it it just helps me. In the space between where, where trust is forged, you learn to surrender your desire to know why. We want to know why. And I call it the unplanned places of destiny. 
as a Christian, we got it all mapped out. Let me tell you something that I've learned, right? I'm writing a new book right now, and the Lord said, do you know what the first, uh, the first chapter of the book is called? It's called Ambushed by God. Ambush. He ambushes you. The scripture, you can make your plans, but God is the one that orders your steps. So go ahead, make your plans, it's fine. I've made loads of them. Hey, hey. I've made a 10-year plan and a five-year goal and God's messed it up on the first day. There's nothing wrong in making your plans. But I want to tell you something, man. Your future is not in the hands of your planning or your goal setting or your vision or your faithfulness or your strength. Your future is in the hands of the one who created you and will finish what he started. May there's great confidence in that. So when you end up in an unplanned place of destiny, you didn't plan to get divorced. You didn't plan to get sick. You didn't plan to get your heart broken. You didn't plan for, 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 uh, to lose all that money. You didn't plan that. But when life hits, you know, and I, 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 I used to be one of these people. I say, yeah, you know, uh, you know, hallelujah, praise. No, some days I get up, I think, you know what? I don't know what the heck is going on here. God, what are you doing? What's going on? Why? And the Lord said to me, I'm, I, I was full of whys. Full of them. All my life. Why this? Why this? Why? And God is saying, Ray, listen. I'm answering your prayer. I said, what prayer was that? You asked me to teach you to trust me. Well, in order for you to trust me the way I want you to trust me and build your character finish your course you need to surrender your desire to know why and that's a hard one but I'm telling you I'm still here come on somebody say amen yeah and I'm sharing listen this you know this is I'm teaching you something not that's just biblical but worked out over 71 years I know it's amazing isn't it anyway but let me, let me just say this. There are times you surrender your desire to know why. Particularly, now I, I just felt this strongly this morning. Some of you are really worried about your future. I know, and this pandemic hasn't helped. Like I am, this is the first time I've preached since March. And I had my whole, my, my whole itinerary was planned out well into next year. Planned, but now bam. So here I am sitting in the house watching Netflix and playing golf. And, uh, and I quite like it, actually. And I am going to see people I don't like. Do you know, look at the positive side of things. Oh, we're, we're locked down. You haven't got to see her. You haven't got to visit them. Come on, somebody. Fantastic. Stop mourning. There's always, there's always something positive in all of it. <laughs> Amen. Oh. But no, man. That, some of you are worried about your future. When you... I read this. So I read this story. This, this really helped me. It was a guy and he, he was a historian. And he was fascinated by the new college in Oxford. 
Well, it's called the New College, but it was built in 1390. So he was fascinated by the history of this place. So in 1990, he went to visit this place and the, um, uh, the guy was showing him around the college and, and the historian said, how old is this college? He said, well, it was built in 1386. I says, man, it's amazing. And his eyes were drawn to the ceiling. His eyes were drawn to the roof. It was a majestic roof. And the beams, the oak beams that supported the weight of that roof just spanned the whole building. He'd never seen beams like it. And he says, um, he says, hey, he said, are those the original beams from 1390? Oh, no, no, no. No, he said, um, those beams were replaced in 1890. They're only 100 years old. And so the historian wanted to find out more information. And the guy said, well, actually, in 1890, after 500 years, after 500-year-old beams, they needed replacing because the weight of the roof was too much for them. The problem was no one knew where to find oak trees that big with that quality to build the beams to replace. But the forester of the college knew something other people didn't know. Behind the college, hidden away, there, were, there, was, a, uh, there was a great stand of oak trees that no one knew about. They're over 550 years old. And here's the amazing thing. They were planted by the same man who built the college and fashioned the roof. They were planted by the same man who put the original beams in, in 1390. And the historian said, well, why? And he said, you know, with a twinkle in his eye, because that man knew ahead of time that their strength would weaken and four to 500 years later, they would need replacing. So knowing that, he had the foresight to plant replacements. Those 500 years, the space between 1390 and 1890 were used to prepare material for future crisis. The lesson is obvious. God has already prepared in advance everything you need for future crisis. Somebody better say amen right here because this is so powerful. <clears throat> Listen, you're worried about the future. You're worried about the, what about the joy you need when life has stolen your song? What about the love you need when someone has broken your heart? What about the peace that you need when the storms of circumstance threaten your life? Well, we've got a workman who has prepared in advance everything that we need when life weighs us down. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works. Watch, which God prepared beforehand. <laughs> that we should walk in them. Listen to me, everyone. For every unbearable weight, for every future trial, 
every future heartbreak or tragedy or disaster or storm or loss or whatever you're worried about in the future, God has already prepared what you need to sustain you when the weight of life is crushing you. Come on, man. I need some amens in this place. Some of you are afraid that you will leave God. There's a fear in your heart because you know the treachery in your heart. You know the unfaithfulness you are prone to. You know what you're like. And there's a fear in your heart. Man, will I lose heaven? Because of my disobedience and my unfaithfulness. And there's a fear. Listen, God has even prepared when you act like a wazak. God has even prepared for your mistakes, your rebellion, and your unfaithfulness. Somebody say amen right here. Jonah is the classic example. Called of God. He runs away from the call of God. He was a racist. He was a backslider. He's, you can't run away from God. I mean, he created Usain Bolt. Come on. You can't run faster than God. But, more, but Jonah, did you know Jonah came from Wales? That's another crap joke. But I'll keep saying them until I get a laugh. <laughs> Come on, man. No. Look at this. So here's Jonah. Call of God, backsliding. You're done, Jonah. You've run away. No, look at this. Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Some of you are in the fish. It sucks. I used to, I remember I was a kid, right, going to Sunday school. They teach us stories about Jonah. And there's pictures of him sitting in the fish with a table. With a candle on it. No. And in some of the modern ones, he's watching TV on it. No way. Jonah was in the fish, trying to run away from God. But God had prepared the fish to get him back on course. Come on, man. That fish could be a person. That fish could be a song. That fish could be a memory. That f I don't know what it is. But what he started in your life, he will bring to completion. When he said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, he meant every word. Come on, man, give the Lord some praise in this house. He's not going to let you go. Fish to the table. He was up to his neck in digestive juices. And some of you are sitting in the fish right now. And you're up to your neck, that problem wants to digest you. That loneliness wants to digest you, whatever it is. Now listen, I've got some good news for you. There's two ways out of that fish. Think. Take your time. Has the virus affected your brain as well? Think. There's that way. <laughs> and it's our way. I know which way I want to come out. You can come out of this thing bitter or better. And you know what changed the whole thing for Jonah? Even though he was running away from God, he finally gave up. And he said, I can't run away from God. I can't get away from the call of God. I mean, God gives his gifts without repentance. He just won't let me go. He won't leave me alone. So in, right in the middle of the fish, right there, it says this. And he offered up a song of thanksgiving. I believe it was just like, I've had enough of this. 
Yeah, I'm really <laughs> running away from God in this fish? No. Okay. And the Bible says that God commanded the fish and Jonah was back on track. I don't care. Listen. <laughs> do you think, do you think God saved you by his grace, not your behavior, by his blood? You didn't behave your way into this and you can't behave your way out of it either. Come on, man. Suck it up. He'll follow you everywhere you go. He's there because he promised it. I just love that. Man, how long have I got left? Four hours and 18 minutes. Brilliant. Is this helping anybody here? You're not an accident. The point I'm making is you're not an accident. God prepared the family, he prepared the place, and he prepared, some of you wish, oh, I wish I was born at a different time. No, because then you wouldn't have the grace to live. God chose where you were to be born, how you were to be born, and the place where you were to be born. Come on, somebody, say, there's no accidents in this place right here. Your parents didn't bring you into this world. You're not the result of your parents. You're the result of predestination. You're not the result of sex. You are the result of sovereignty. You were once a little tadpole. Did they teach you this in biology in school? Or what? Somebody said tadpole? No. You say, oh, I'm an accident. I'm a mistake. I'm a loser. Really? There was a time when you were a little tadpole. Your little tail was going. The only problem is, and, and there was one goal. Get to the egg. This round thing. You just got to get to that egg. Problem is, there were another 200 million <laughs> that wanted to get to the egg too. But have a guess who made it. Have a guess out of 200 million, you were the one that made it. No, ever, don't ever say again that you're an accident or you're a failure or a loser. Come on, man. You're predestined to be here. You're not the result. You're not the result of sex. You're the re result of sovereignty. The sex that got you here may have been illegitimate, but you are not illegitimate. You've been chosen and blessed by God to be on this planet, to be a blessing at this time. Can I hear an amen here? Man, I'm you can tell I haven't preached for like four months. You mean? Fantastic. I'm going to get saved myself after this again, just to make sure. I want to tell you the same grace that carried you through past crisis, the same grace that sustains you in your present crisis, is the same grace already prepared for whatever crisis comes. What a way to live. The most contented lifestyle you can ever have is being related to Jesus. Me and him, he and me go to sleep it's wonderful the space between so I just had to major on that so where do I go from here okay we got are you still here okay so um, the space between and when I when I was writing this message out and studying uh, the Lord began to go into some detail here and during the working out of our destinies, we will 
experience the space between in eight, as, uh, there may be more, but at the moment he's giving me eight uh, descriptions. Uh, and they vary, okay? Um, for instance, um, for some of us, we will experience a valley. And I haven't got time to go into this. I've got a message on all these. A valley, the space between a broken dream and a hopeless future. And uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, I haven't got time to go into that, but how, what a horrible place to be. A broken dream and then a hopeless future. But you know what? God is doing more in that space between in your life than you can imagine. What about this one? We will experience Egypt. The space between a destiny reversed and a destiny resumed. That's the story of Joseph. What about this one? We will experience silent Saturdays. What's a silent Saturday? It's the space between bad for you, but good for somebody else. When Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday, it looked bad for him. But God was doing something on silent Saturday, destroying the works of hell, securing our salvation, and the resurrection day became good for us. And there are times in our lives, or we pray, God, use me. Then we get used. Then we say, God, why am I being used? You know what I mean? So, so no, no. I don't know. I, I, I could, there's loads of stories I could tell you where it's gone bad for me. But see, when you say, God, I so, when you say this, see, God's answering your prayer again. Lord, this is what Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. Is there another way around this? Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane contemplating what he had to go through. It says he sweat blood. You know that's a medical phenomena called hepatidrosis. And it happened to some of the young men in the First World War when they were about to go over uh, the, the trench many of them sweat blood and what happens is under extreme stress and extreme emotional pressure the blood capillaries burst and mix with the, with the sweat glands and it, it appears like you're sweating blood that's what happened to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane he was thinking he was contemplating what he was about to suffer the torture and the the most horrible death known to man and he said God have I got to go that way is there another way so it's okay to say to God Lord have I got to go through this is there another way around this but then we pray this prayer, nevertheless, not my plans, but your ordered steps. In other words, nevertheless, not my will, God. So you're in a place where it seems to be going bad for you. Hang in there because God is using you to make it good for somebody else. Come on, man. I haven't got time to go into that. Is this helping anybody here? Um, the space between, you will experience Patmos where they put John the Apostle on that island. 
the space between isolation and revelation. You will experience cemeteries. The space between hanging on and letting go. The women turned up at the cemetery ready to anoint the dead body of Jesus and the words of the angels must have seemed so insensitive. Here they were grieving the death of Jesus. Here they were uh, emotionally torn apart and mourning and they turn up to anoint a dead body. They weren't turning up for a resurrection here. And the angels' words must have seemed so insensitive. Why do you seek the living? Amongst the dead, he's not here. Take your flowers and stop laying them on this grave. And I'm telling you, we will, the space between, for some of us, it will be, you will go to the cemetery where God will teach you to stop placing flowers on dreams that have died. Stop laying flowers on, on people that have left. Come on, somebody say amen right here. He said, it's time to let go. And then Mary, when she turns up and saw Jesus in his resurrected body, she didn't recognize him. And then when she did, the Bible says she went to hold on to him. And, and, and Jesus said, Mary, don't cling to me. I know it was great for three years. I know we had some great times when you saw the miracles. But you're about to enter a new dimension of relationship with me. But before you do, you got to let me go. Come on, somebody say amen. So cemeteries, I got a message in all these, I'm good time. Um, then, then you got the wine press and then you got the storms. But I think I got nine minutes left. Have I got nine minutes, Haley? Are you all right for nine minutes? Space between, very often you will experience <laughs> nights. Night, you will go through seasons where is dark? Let me remind you again, God is doing more in your life. He's more interested in what you are becoming, not what you become. And you will experience seasons that are dark. I call them night seasons. Watch this. And while I was meditating on this, this will relate to so many people. What is night? It's the space between p.m., and AM. And for me, it registered like this the space between past mistakes and another mess. Come on, come on, somebody. Past mistakes and another mess. Mistake after mistake, bad decision after bad decision. And then you're thinking, can I trust my next one? <laughs> oh man no listen listen to me carefully as I wind this up you're suffering <clears throat> right now the consequences of a past mistake and as a result of that you've lost confidence in your decision making because you're just expecting another mess be encouraged we are in great company here. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he wrote the, half the Bible. You're talking about making mistakes. So, so here he is. He gets his team together. And he's got a vision to go to Bithynia. 
He's over there somewhere. Where's Bithynia? Anybody know where Bithynia is? Over by there. Oh, I forgot. I'm in Newport. No, you, no. So, so Bithynia, right? This, so he had this. And we, he gets all his team together. He says, "Guys, we're going to Bithynia. Bithynia, where is it? Don't worry." So I know it was a long walk, right? It must have been a couple of months. They had to plan. Then they had to walk there. They didn't have taxis or nothing then. Donkey maybe, but they had to walk most of the time. So it, the whole process of planning and getting to Bithynia and teaching them new choruses about Bithynia. We're going to Bithynia for Jesus, Bithynia. And they're all the team of Bithynia for Jesus, Bithynia. And they're all, they all psyched up, getting rather songs. And they get to the borders of Bithynia. And, and, and the spirit of Jesus said to Paul, nah. What? I've just spent four months. Look at them. They're like flipping animals, like brave out. We want to, come on, we're ready. No. Well, why didn't you tell me before I did all the planning? Come on, somebody say. All right, so what are we doing now then? So he gets his team together. Do you know what I said about Bithynia? It's a great thought, wasn't it? <laughs> well, you know, we're not going now because I made a mistake. Okay, Paul, great leader. Trust you. Follow you anywhere. So, back to the drawing board. So, we, so a couple of days later, he comes back to them and he says, we're going, we're going to Asia. Oh, we're going to Asia, right? So they go to Asia, gets, you know, started making curry. They're getting used to, the, get used to it. And it's about Asia for Jesus, Asia for Jesus. We are Another couple of months. Planning, traveling, getting their diet right, getting their guts ready for the Indians there, and all that stuff. They get to the border of, of, of Asia, ready to go in. What did, what did the Holy Ghost say? Wrong again, Paul. How many of you know as a leader that would affect your confidence in making decisions? So I said, what are we going to do, almighty leader, Paul? Leadeth us with such confidence. Well, we'll go out, we're going to sleep. Let me sleep on it. So he goes to sleep. And then there's a guy appears in his dream from Makatakatonia. Paul, come over you. It's the Welsh version. Come over you. Last year I had a bad year. That's another joke that went, come over you. So he had this dream about this man saying, so he gets up in the morning, gets the team together. I know where we're going, team. All right. We're really encouraged. Can't wait. <laughs> we're going to Macedonia. <laughs> we're going down there. You know the story. They get to Macedonia, turn the place upside down, right? Cast a demon out of this woman, and him and Silas end up in prison. That's the will of God, isn't it? Past mistakes and another mess. And I can imagine silage, Silas, sorry, did I say silage? <laughs> I'm into the next point. Uh, Paul and Silas in a prison after Paul's multiple bad decisions. And I can imagine Silas, they've been beaten up, bleeding. I can imagine Silas thinking, hey, great decision, mate. And some of you may be in a, a situation where you, 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 you pass mistakes and another mess. And do you know what you're going to have to learn to do? Well, I may have got it wrong. But one thing I know, 
my God still loves me. My God is still in charge of my life. And so do you know what we're going to do, Silas? Stop mourning. Pick up that rock there. i got change here. We've got no music, but we can do a bit of rapping, okay? So come on. And at midnight, at midnight, they began to sing praises to God, and God delivered them. Come on, man. Because in, in the space between, in the space between past mistakes and another mess, you're just going to have to learn to praise. Am I talking to the right people here? I'll finish with this. You know, you know, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Then at the end of the verse, it says, in everything, give thanks. In the middle, it says, pray without ceasing. Watch this. When you get to that place, praying is not an action. It's a place. Praying without ceasing is not, oh Jesus, I pray. No, praying without ceasing is not an action. It's an attitude. It's a bubble you live in. When you rejoice in the Lord always. Not rejoice for things, but rejoice in the Lord. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Thank you that you love me. Thank you that I'm going to heaven. Thank you that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice in the Lord. And then at the end, in, when you're in stuff, in everything, it doesn't say for everything. In everything, give thanks. So when you're rejoicing and giving thanks, you're walking in the bubble called praying without ceasing. You're practicing his presence, whatever's happening. So, Father, thank you for your word today. Uh, thank you for encouraging us. And, uh, and there are people here going through a night season. Um, you know, they've made so many bad decisions and they are, they are really concerned about making a, another wrong decision, past mistakes and another mess. Lord, just help them to settle. Help them to stop trying to work it out. Help them to surrender their desire to know why. And just help them to rejoice in you. Give thanks in everything. And they'll walk in this bubble called the presence of God. Praying without ceasing. Lord, I, I speak blessing and I speak peace. And I speak contentment and I speak joy and love. And to everyone that's listening to the sound of my voice, Lord, the one thing we are sure of, whatever space between we're in, whether it be a valley, a storm, a night, a wine press, Egypt, whether one thing we know, what you have started in our lives, you will bring to completion. Can you stand with me right now? Have you received the word of God this morning, everybody? Amen. Um, it's been a joy. Uh, I love preaching at home. Um, and I just know, I just know that this virus, this season, is not a bad time for the church. It's the best time. Because that's when we get back to basics. That's when we get back to reconnecting, prioritizing what really matters. God bless you, everybody. Amen.